recruiting for the right brainers in the crowd. I think we're a bit outnumbered. But I am here speaking. Yes, all right. Uh, I would like for some of you, I hope at least some small number of you are considering a place for yourself in the arts. Uh, there are four good reasons for being a writer. One, you can go to work in your jammies. <laughs> Two, you don't have to attend any company picnics. Three, you can never be fired. And four, you don't have to retire. Uh, the downside is that there is no path. There is no course you can take. It's not going to help if you go to an I Ivy League school. It might not hurt you, but it's not going to do you any good. Many of us don't even have a college education. I happen to have a four-year degree. I graduated from the University of Louisville, Louisville, to translate. Uh, but my middle two years, I went to Western Kentucky State Teachers College, which is full of ag majors. There were courses in beekeeping and animal husbandry and pork production. <laughs> in the spring, you could take a course called corn. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of about five English majors, and we were all completely rebellious. I remember in one year, I, we only were required to read one book. It was The Return of the Native, and we refused. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> writing as a career, and I would say this is true of any of the arts, requires more courage, more determination, more passion, and more commitment than any other job I can think of. You have to be able to take a lot of rejection. You have to be able to take criticism. You have to be willing to have your teeth knocked down your throat for a long period of time. You labor in obscurity, and you're treated with condescension by people who love you but secretly wish you would get a day job <laughs> and get off the family payroll. I started writing when I was 18. I wrote bad poetry, and I wrote mediocre short stories. I was born to be a novelist, as it turns out. Uh, I wrote, oh, I, in, in, when I was 22 years old, I was taking a UCLA extension course in creative writing, and I had a genuine epiphany. I was driving home not VW, and I thought to myself, you know, if I want to succeed in writing, I'm going to have to make a commitment. It's like I can't just pretend to do it. I can't fake it. There is no king's X. I can't say later I was teasing. I've just got to go full out. So I wrote my first full-length novel, which was never published. I wrote a second full-length novel, which was never published. I wrote a third full-length novel that was never published. Meanwhile, I was working full-time as a medical receptionist. I was working as a cashier in a hospital. I was raising a family, so all of this I did at night. Uh, my fourth full-length novel, I entered in the, what was then the Anglo-American Book Award contest, which I didn't win. <laughs> but I got a publishing offer from a British company for 275 pounds, which is just about $275. I used that publishing offer to get an American agent who got me an American publisher. That novel was Kazai Dana. I was paid $1,500 for it. Uh, I was 25 years old at the time. Uh, this next novel I wrote, the fifth was called The Lolly Madonna War. The film rights sold, and I ended up working in Hollywood for 15 years. Well, the longer I was there, the madder I was getting, because I'm a crabby little thing. And it turns out <laughs> I am a bad sport. It turns out I am not a team player. And every time those people took their fine gold pencils to my work, I got more 
PO'd. And I finally understood, you know, if you don't like the game, don't take the money, because then you have all the power. I, I know people who are trying to get into Hollywood, which I equate with trying to get into prison. <laughs> Not a good idea. <laughs> At a certain point, a Hollywood agent said to me, oh, Grafton, you know, your reputation in town is that you can do character, but you can't do plot. Well, that pissed me off. So I thought to myself, I'm going to just teach myself to do plots. And I thought the best way to do that is with a mystery novel. Now, it happened that my father had written and published three mystery novels in the course of his career. He was a full-time municipal bond attorney in Louisville, Kentucky. So I thought, well, I'll give that one a shot. I knew I had, had to get back to solo writing. As it also happened, I was in the middle of a very bitter di divorce. Uh, I always look to see if this guy's attorney is in the crowd, but he's not. Uh, I went through three custody battles, and at that point, I didn't have enough money for a fancy pants attorney, and I thought it was enough to be a nice person, which is how innocent I was. So I would lie awake at night and think of ways to kill him. <laughs> I would. And, you know, I went through several. <laughs> I finally came up with this scheme, and I thought, you know, I bet I could do that. However, I am a very law-abiding little bun. You know, I'm take my library books back on time, and I'll cross between the lines. And I thought, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to get caught. They're going to send me to prison. I'm going to have to wear that wretched prison clothing. I'm going to have to eat starchy food. My butt's going to get wide. <laughs> I'm going to disgrace the very children that I'm trying to save. So I thought to myself, why don't I take this divine murder, put it in a book, and get paid for it? <laughs> which is exactly what I did. That novel was A is for Alibi. When I first started writing that book, I didn't even know what a private investigator did. So I spent a long period of time educating myself about police procedure, private eye procedure, California criminal law, forensics, toxicology, gunshot wounds, anything I can get my hands on. And I ended up writing about a kick-ass private eye female who at that time was 32 years old. She owns one dress, cuts her hair with a pair of nail scissors. And when it came down to, to writing the protagonist, I thought to myself, I'm going to play that part. That's going to be the most fun. So I'm sort of the embodiment of Kinsey Milhone, although I'm sure she cusses more than I do. <laughs> I've often said the smartest thing I ever did was to invent somebody who now supports me. Think about that one. <laughs> I've noticed that many right-brainers are kind of intimidated by the present company. We look out at you and we think, oh my god, all these smart people. Right-brainers sometimes don't feel very smart because we don't do that well in mathematics. Here's where mathematics and I parted company. When I was going to school, they had these thought problems. And it, there was always this one. A train leaves Chicago at 60 miles an hour. A second train leaves New York City at 60 miles an hour, and a bird flies back and forth. I'd start blacking out. <laughs> I don't even know what the question was, because I'd be thinking to myself, I wonder who's on the train? <laughs> Why are they leaving Chicago? What's the matter with the bird? Why would it do <laughs> Thank you.
What I know and what I think you'll recognize too is that left-brainers and right-brainers, we need each other. We need glass blowers, we need actors, we need writers and composers and musicians and poets because life is not just about math and science, molecules and quarks. Life is about truth and that's what the arts give back to us. If you think about a world without books, a world without music, a world without movies, you must think about the silence and the emptiness of it. All the great leaps in math and science are made by people in right brain mode. So what I'm asking you to do if you are not interested or have no particular aptitude for the arts is at least keep that piece of your brain alive so that no matter what you are doing, you will stop and write a bad poem now and then, or play the piano, or dance, because it will enrich your life. And when you get to the point that corporate America begins to drive you a little crazy, and you think to yourself, I'm burned out, I'm gonna try perhaps a novel, you will know that all you have to do is go home and get in your jammies. <laughs> Thank you. Do you have any questions that I can answer in six seconds? <laughs> oh, here comes one. Hi, I'm Ben Healy. Um, what authors inspire you? Why? Um, primarily my father, I think, because I had his example. I grew up in a household where people truly loved books. They loved the English language. For some reason, my parents had one of those revolving drugstore racks, and my parents would buy paperback novels, and my mother would mark them in pencil, dirty or dull or good. And my sister and I were allowed to go down and whirl that old thing and just pick up anything we wanted, because my parents understood that after you read enough dirty books, you'll realize those are the dull ones, and you'll move on to the good ones. Uh, my sister, who was three years older than I, was always talking about books with my father, and so that that created a lot of reading in our household. I recognize now, after years of therapy, that it was a little dysfunctional, because <laughs> we didn't talk to each other. All we did was read books, but I think it has still served me well. <laughs> if any of you have any remote notion of being a writer, I'll be happy to talk to you later, because I think it's one of the most exciting things that I've ever come across. Just briefly, the mystery novel is what I consider the neurosurgery of literature, because I was talking about this at breakfast, mystery writers are like magicians. We, we create an illusion before your very eyes, and we let you watch the whole process, and if we do our jobs right, we trick you, and you're amazed and, and delighted. If we do our jobs badly, you get mad at us, don't you, and write us all those nasty letters. But, I think it is one of the most exciting forms I've ever come across. I know I will never conquer it, never. And so that makes it fun, go up against myself time after time. Ooh, one more question. One more right. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. My name is Danielle Shulman, and I'm from Los Angeles, and I like to write. I kind of fancy that I'm a pretty good writer. And I was wondering, you talked about criticism and how you have to learn from what people tell you, but also that you have to take it. And I'm wondering, to what extent I, when I write, I like to show it to my friends and family, and I'm wondering to what extent do you listen and try to change what people think ought to be changed, and to what extent do you go with your gut feeling? That's a very good question. I think you have to be willing to listen to the feedback, because when you're starting out, you don't know what you're doing right and what you're not doing right. 
But in the end, the whole object of the exercise is to develop your own intuition. If somebody has a good idea, I'm happy to snatch it. But by and large, I listen to myself, and I think you have to do it that way in the end. I think all artistic types, probably actually mathematicians and scientists, I don't know why I keep making this division, but I think you have to listen to your heart. And uh, if you take punishment for that, so be it. Thank you.